This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If you look back at the history of DSM, for instance, DSM-1 is basically all about psychoneurosis. That was Dabrowski's language at the time. And he saw that if you were somebody going through what was considered psychoneurosis, there were positive developmental implications there. And it didn't just mean that you were crazy or mentally ill, but that this could be a process of you developing a more authentic self and like creating a personality. But unfortunately, it often wasn't supported well. And so it wasn't always positive. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Disintegration can be negative or pathological too if it's not adequately supported. I'm Debbie Reber and welcome to Tilled Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. And wow, do I have such a fascinating conversation for you today. So a few months ago, I heard about something called the theory of positive disintegration. That's a theory created by Kay Dabrowski, whose name I was familiar with because of his bringing attention to the idea that gifted kids have these inborn traits known as overexcitabilities. So anyway, I heard of this theory and I was instantly curious. Positive disintegration, what does that mean exactly? It sounded complicated and good, but also messy. So I wanted to know more. That's when I learned of the work of Dr. Chris Wells, who is the founding president of the Dabrowski Center, and who is dedicated to sharing knowledge and resources about this profound theory and the psychology of giftedness. I invited Chris on the show to explore the theory of positive disintegration. And fortunately for all of us, they said yes. And I will just say up front, there is a lot that goes into understanding this theory and the implications it has for our differently wired children. So in today's episode, we're really just scratching the surface of this theory. But I am so excited for the opportunity to share this conversation because I believe this framework has the potential to offer a new perspective on neurodivergence and mental health that is so important for families in our community to explore. Here's a little bit more about Chris before we move on to the conversation. Dr. Chris Wells is a neurodivergent writer, social worker, and Dabrowski scholar with a passion for studying and applying the theory of positive disintegration. They provide specialized consulting services to clinicians and educators internationally, delivering deep insights into positive disintegration and its practical applications. They also offer their unique blend of lived experience and professional expertise as an advocate and speaker for mental health awareness and suicide prevention. Chris is also the co-host of a wonderful podcast called Positive Disintegration. So if you are intrigued by what we discussed today, you will definitely want to check that out. It is a rich resource. One last thing, this episode includes a mention of suicidality and suicide attempts. So if those are trigger topics for you, please take care of yourself while listening. And now here is my conversation with Chris Wells on the theory of positive disintegration. Hey, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. 
I'm really looking forward to getting into all of this. And we were just talking before I hit record. We're really just going to kind of scratch the surface. So listeners, this is going to be a fascinating conversation. I can already tell you because I, I really started to go deep down the rabbit hole of Chris's work. And I'm just so excited to introduce it to you in this conversation. But Chris, as a way to get started, I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about who you are and how you came to be doing the work that you're doing. I know it's very connected to who you are inherently and your personal why. So could you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now? It is a long story, but I will do my best to be concise. I am a writer and a researcher and a podcaster, but I came to the work that I'm doing now both as a parent of a kid who was twice exceptional, gifted and disabled. And that discovery really blew my own mind because I had been identified as a gifted kid, but then didn't bring that label with me into adulthood because when I was like 20, I had this huge breakdown that led me to multiple hospitalizations and I was in and out of the mental health system for years. And so by the time I had my own child, I was doing well. Around the time when I rediscovered giftedness, I was probably like 39. And thanks to my son, our issues with him, it just led me down this huge rabbit hole myself. And I was a doctoral student in psychology at the time. And I discovered this research methodology called autoethnography. And it just opened up my eyes to seeing things in a different way. It, it just was really earth shattering to make that discovery, to realize that I wasn't broken. I mean, it's, it's a long story, but in the process of exploring giftedness and twice exceptionality, I discovered Dabrowski's theory of positive disintegration in the gifted literature. And next thing you know, I'm like becoming an expert on it and rethinking my whole life and eventually coming off of psychiatric medication, completely changing the way I parented and basically did everything in my life from that point. And so, I mean, hopefully that wasn't too confusing, but that's how I got to here. <laughs> yeah, through your own self-discovery process. And I didn't realize that it was also through your child that you learned kind of more about who you were. That is obviously the case with so many of us listening in this community and it is such a fascinating time, I think, because of that. And I like how you said, next thing you know, I was like pursuing this whole area. It sounds like it was when you first stumbled upon this theory of positive disintegration that it was like this aha moment. Did something just click for you and truth bumps? Like, what was that like? You know, interestingly, at first, I really had a resistance to it. I read it. It was this chapter from Michael Pihovsky, and I didn't love it at first. It was overexcitabilities. And I read it and I thought, well, this is ADHD. Or like I already had accepted myself as an ADHDer. And so when I came to his work and read about overexcitabilities, it seemed very positively slanted. I, I just kept trying to ignore it. It's funny when I think back on it, but I kept doing searches that would bring me his titles, Michael's. And and I was just like, no, what else? Who else? But eventually I paid attention. And it was probably when I also started, I don't know, doing like kind of a deeper dive into Dabrowski and what he said. 
So I just want to talk about some concepts generally, because I have a feeling a lot of listeners are familiar with the Dabrowski's overexcitabilities. I know of them, certainly within the gifted community, but that is the context with which I understand those excitabilities as these traits that some gifted people have. I'm going to toss the baton to you. Can you explain those overexcitabilities for us? Sure, absolutely. So there's five types of overexcitabilities. and Dabrowski is not the one who coined that term. It existed long before him, but it really came from this idea of nervousness. And nervousness is at the heart of the history of other kinds of neurodivergence, but it's only a term that we talk about or have talked about in gifted education for like the last 40 years. And so it's a heightened responsiveness and kind of a lowered threshold to stimuli. And so since it happens in these five domains, they're psychomotor, sensual, intellectual, imaginational, and emotional. And certain combinations look more like ADHD, certain combinations look more like autism. But the reality is that these overexcitabilities are at the heart of all types of neurodivergence. And yet, this is not something I knew in 2014, when I first discovered it, I initially came to this literature and thought, oh, I must not have ADHD. And my kid must not have ADHD because this is a characteristic of giftedness. This is just my giftedness. But that didn't turn out to be the case. At the time when I was exploring all of this, a couple years later in 2016, there would be two papers that came out in the gifted field that really threw it kind of threw a wrench into my own plans for the work I wanted to do because these papers said, well, it's not overexcitability. It's really openness to experience. And so there was some controversy in the gifted field. But by that time, I was already very confident that what we were calling overexcitability was at the heart of, like I said, ADHD, autism, and beyond. I mean, if you look for neuronal hyperexcitability or overexcitability in the neuroscience literature, you'll see it tied also to sensory processing sensitivity and dyslexia. And so it's really, it's truly at the heart of everything we consider neurodivergent now. PDA, I'm sure too. I mean, I say that's another term I discovered in my 40s where I was like, oh, hello, that explains why I've struggled to work my whole life for other people. But these overexcitabilities can lead to positive disintegration. And that's how they're connected with this theory. But that part of it got lost to some extent in the gifted world, where people were just considering it a characteristic of giftedness. And so part of my work, it turned out, would be really diving down the historical rabbit hole, learning Polish, working with Michael Piechowski to translate Polish texts, and also in exploring the history of ADHD and autism, which, you know, helped me make a lot of these connections. It's super interesting. And as you were explaining that also, I wonder about nervous system regulation and polyvagal, because that is something that I feel is a big piece of the conversation in the neurodivergence space now. So is there a relationship or overlap between having these overexcitabilities and having a nervous system that's more wired for threat. Yes. Oh, thank you so much for bringing that up. Absolutely. So Dabrowski died in 1980. He's been gone for a long time. But when you read his work in one book in particular from 1972 
called psychoneurosis is not an illness. He was talking about the autonomic nervous system. He was talking about the very issues that we are now connecting with polyvagal theory and nervous system regulation as a part of experiencing positive disintegration. And again, this is something that is really unexplored among or outside those of us who are very close to the theory, I would say. Super interesting. Okay. So I want to pivot and talk about this theory of positive disintegration. So let's take a quick break and we'll do that when we get back. I'm on the road this month and oh man, am I missing my sweet kitties, Haskell and Lua. They've been a part of our family for more than two years and I'm so grateful they're keeping Darren such good company while I'm away. If you're getting a new pet soon, you're probably already thinking about everything you'll need to buy. Food, toys, a cozy bed, doggy bags, or litter boxes. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim, and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. If you listen to this show, you probably know that at least one in five children is differently wired. But did you know that approximately one in two women will experience hair thinning? If you're part of that 50%, you are absolutely not alone. But because hair thinning for women isn't something people openly talk about, going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. So why not do something about it with Nutrafol? Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Everyone's root causes of hair thinning are different, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth isn't going to cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow throughout different stages, postpartum, menopause, even for different lifestyles like a plant-based diet. To get your personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes, you can take a simple hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com. And because there's no prescription required, you can quickly get set up online with free shipping and automated deliveries, which make it so much easier to stick with your new hair care routine. See results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code TILT. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code TILT. That's Nutrafol.com promo code TILT. I just have to tell you, earlier today before this interview, I was listening to your podcast. I was on the subway with my 19-year-old, twice exceptional neurodivergent human, and 
I said, oh, check out the name of this podcast. This is what I'm researching. And my kids said, what does it involve and how do I do it? And I was like, I got to write that down because I love that there was something about even this idea of positive disintegration that was like very, hmm, interesting. You have a whole show that you have 50 plus episodes, you're talking about this. So, but in a nutshell, in a way that my listeners could understand, what is the theory of positive disintegration? The theory of positive disintegration is huge. And so I'm going to do my best to distill it down to it is an alternative to the mainstream view of mental illness, really. I mean, Dabrowski, when he was first exploring positive disintegration and nervousness for himself, all of that early work for him came from suffering. He lost a friend when he was a teenager to suicide, and he experienced overexcitabilities. And so you can really see in his early work how that influenced him. His medical thesis was on the psychological conditions of suicide. His PhD dissertation was on the psychological basis of self-mutilation. So he saw that having an, an intense experience of reality made you more likely to have what was considered neuroses or psychoneuroses at the time. And those terms predated our modern taxonomy of, of mental illness. And so if you look back at the history of DSM, for instance, DSM-1 is basically all about psychoneurosis. That was Jabrowski's language at the time. And he saw that if you were somebody going through what was considered psychoneurosis, there were positive developmental implications there. And it didn't just mean that you were crazy or mentally ill, but that this could be a process of you developing a more authentic self and like creating a personality. But unfortunately, it often wasn't supported well. And so it wasn't always positive. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Disintegration can be negative or pathological too, if it's not adequately supported. So that's kind of where it came from. <laughs> that is what I found so interesting. And again, listening to some of your other shows, and you acknowledge this was part of your own journey, that things that you thought at the time were mental illness were not actually mental illness. Could you talk about how you shifted your thinking about your own experience as a result of this new knowledge? Sure. I've been through disintegration many times in my life. And one thing that I'd like to say is that it's very individual. Everybody's experience of this is different. And for me, it turns out that I've had many experiences of it. But I would say that there are people who, you know, maybe only have one huge earth-shattering disintegration in their life. But for me, it began when I was a kid. And so one of the terms in Dabrowski's theory is dynamisms, and there's unilevel and multilevel dynamisms. Again, the terminology is a lot to get into in a podcast episode, but when I was young, I had feelings of guilt and shame that shaped my behavior to some extent. So my early disintegrations, you know, happened in like maybe before middle school, middle school, then I had another one in high school, and they were times that I considered mental illness when I was that age. You know, I mean, for sure in my high school journal, I was writing about having mental illness and believing that I always would have it. I had a lot of anxiety and, you know, having strong overexcitabilities that like literally produces the feeling of anxiety. But that's something that I just saw myself as always having, like I would never be free of it. I would also have mood swings, periods of depression. But then when I was 20, I had a huge disintegration that really was devastating. And it 
was less positive, clearly, than the one I'd had in high school. It really brought me to my knees. And at the time, I just, it was like, I couldn't make a decision. There was so much hesitation and indecision. And I ended up making suicide attempts. That's what led me to be hospitalized for the first time. And after that, I mean, I went through more serious disintegrations and I was in and out of the hospital many times and just saw myself as broken. I had gone from, you know, I published a book when I was 20. I had been perceived as a very gifted young person who was now like an utter failure on disability for mental illness for several years. And finally, I kind of, well, in Dabrowskian terms, I developed a hierarchy of values. My values started to guide my behavior and it brought me out of addiction and being sick. You know, I decided that I could have a life, that I would have a life and kind of started creating my own path before it was present. I just started walking in the direction I thought need, I needed to go and, and things started to unfold for me. But then still, it would be many years before I discovered the theory and kind of had a reframe. I kept going to the psychiatrist for years and taking medication. I had been diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was 19. So that's what I was being treated for. And finally, you know, when I discovered the theory, I started questioning everything, including with the provider I had at the time. And I think it's pretty clear to me now that I don't have bipolar disorder and I just, I haven't taken medication for years. I learned how to tend my own nervous system and how to be in the world without thinking of myself as broken. The more I changed my own thinking about myself, I mean, the more I became who I am now. But it's tricky because even though you have a vision of who you might be, it's not easy to get from point A to point B. Yeah. And so my understanding then is that this disintegration or disintegrations, because you said this happened multiple times, it seems like that's kind of like a complete stripping down of self. And so what I'm understanding is that it is through that disintegration process that caused ultimately you to be able to make this turn to go down the path you wanted to. So it was because of the disintegration that you were able to get on the right path for yourself. Am I getting that right? Yeah, it's and again it goes back to this word dynamisms from Dabrowski. So there's there's multiple kinds of dynamisms and some of them are the ones that break you down. And you know, some of the processes of disintegration are are terms that we still use in modern times like dissociation. I really struggled when I was in my 20s with dissociation. You know, uh, we had one podcast episode where I described having this imaginal world because it's true that when I was a kid I just had such a powerful imagination that it's like I was living in this fantasy world along with my actual reality. And sometimes this is called a paracosm. You know, there's names for it, <laughs> other, you know, terms like based on who's talking about it. But yeah, like these mental processes were part of the disintegration. But then ultimately, there were what Dabrowski would call higher level dynamisms that allowed me to do the rebuilding to come out of that place where I had just you know, all of my, it was like my psychic structures had completely broken down and who I had been before just didn't exist. And, you know, I was kind of operating this period of years where I didn't know who I was. And, and it was tough to, to look back and be like, well, you know, I used to be this gifted kid and now I'm this mental patient. You know, I just, I didn't know how to reconcile that and move forward. And it took a long time. And ultimately I met my husband who, was like this stable presence in my life who it was that relationship with him that 
that helped me finally like move away from being sick, I would say, and mentally ill. You went through this process, the more positive aspect of the disintegration and kind of figuring things out and being more aligned with who you are and having a deeper understanding of who you are and maybe being more integrated, right, with your identity. And it sounds like that happened before you really stumbled upon this theory. Is that correct? Like, And so the theory then when you learned about it, we were like, oh, that's what I've just spent the past 20, 30 years of my life experiencing. Yeah, it happened in, it didn't happen all at once, I guess I would say, you know, at first I discovered Michael's work, like I described. And yeah, I mean, as soon as I came to the theory, I've recognized that it was another way of, of viewing mental health struggles or mental illness, you know, but it was confusing because the fact that it was tied to the gifted world made it feel like maybe this couldn't exactly be what I thought it was. And so it took more of a deep dive and it took reading Dabrowski, which came a couple years later, you know, and that was like another whole rabbit hole to go down to read his work. But then in Dabrowski's work, I recognized aspects of what I had considered mental illness in new ways, especially this imaginal world that I described. You know, Dabrowski was describing people like Kafka and their imaginal worlds. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that's what I went through. And it really, it blew my mind, but it wasn't like an immediate recognition or change. Like it, it took me time and effort to do the digging into myself and the theory to get to, I guess, where I needed to be. I want to talk a little bit more about the mental health implications. I don't know if implications is the right word, but the way that we can think about mental health through this new lens. We'll do that after a quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for limited time at ritual.com tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com tilt for 25% off. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, 
six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. So I want to talk about mental health because that is something I think a lot about. I work with so many families raising neurodivergent kids and especially the parents of teens and young adults. It's just really pervasive. These kids struggling with anxiety, depression, gender dysphoria, just it's a very complicated time to be a young person. And a lot of the conversation we have is surrounding modalities that would support kids and like is CBT effective or DBT effective for neurodivergent people. And there are so many different ways to approach this. And I'm just wondering, you know, in terms of this idea of positive disintegration, how can this be used, whether it's in coordination with other modalities? Do you see it as more of a framework or maybe even a self-knowledge thing that we want to help young people understand more about who they are through this lens? Like, How do you see this theory supporting the mental health journey of kids who are really struggling? I think it's going to have an important place in the coming years to support young people in mental health. But right now, what we're lacking is a bridge between the past and the present, which is something that I've been trying to to do myself. But it will help, and, and it'll have to be kind of a multi-pronged approach, I think. Part of the problem is that gifted is so fraught and gifted ed, you know, and so I mean, part, like, if there's one thing I'm sure of at this point, it's that we need to help gifted and twice exceptional young people understand this difference that they have, that it's not only an educational label. This is a different way of being a neurodivergence in its own right. And when it's combined with other kinds of neurodivergence, it's messy. You're never going to get that one perfect expert out there who's going to give you the labels that you want or need necessarily, but that we need to rethink labels and and think of them as ways of being or identities rather than diagnoses or something to treat and fix. So I think that the theory can help in that way because I do think that one of the beautiful things about overexcitability is that people recognize themselves in it so easily. It's not pathologized and yet it can apply to many different kinds of combinations of neurodivergence. And then Dabrowski felt that it was really important to have people guide other folks through positive disintegration who've already been through it before. And so like just personally, one of the things that I'm trying to do this year with the Dabrowski Center is get people together who I know and trust who work with the theory in their practices as coaches and therapists and parents and to say, how can we take this theory as a tool 
and and apply it in practice in some new way to help support people outside of the existing systems we have that often feel broken to me. Mental health and education as systems are both so problematic that I don't think that we can count on them to make these changes or fix anything in our lifetimes. The mental health piece in particular, you know, you said that you just kind of accepted that you were a mentally ill person. And I hear that from so many young adults and teens as well. They own that identity. I'm broken. They're on lots of meds. They're open about it. They communicate with all their peers about this stuff, but it can become a really strong identity hook. And so I find it inspiring and so interesting just to hear about your journey and to think about different ways of approaching it that aren't going to pathologize what's going on. But it's such a, I could just see knowing the interaction I've had with the mental health professionals who many just seem to not be up to speed, even on neurodivergence, right? So everything is kind of viewed as a disorder. That's right. And that was me when I was young. I absolutely embraced myself as mentally ill, was sure that medication was the way forward. And that's where I was looking. Like I was always searching for the right combination of pills to fix me. Like it didn't occur to me how much agency I had in the process and that I was the one in control of my life. And so it's tricky because, you know, when you're dealing with somebody who has real symptoms of of mental illness, you want to validate that and say, yes, I see you're suffering, but let's not get too attached to it because the only way out of your suffering is by not staying attached to it and being willing to do the work to grow through it and get to the other side of it. These labels are not something that you have to hold close to you forever. There was a interview I listened to on your show, and I don't remember the guest's name, but he said, if a person is totally stable, there's no motivation for development to change. And that really struck me as a complete reframe for anxiety and depression that they could actually be a sign that this is actually a growth spurt. This is a person who, to bring Kafka, right, who's in the middle of a transformation. That's right. Totally. I mean, if if you're experiencing anxiety, it's your body telling you something and you need to pay attention to it and figure out what it is that's making you feel this way and move forward. And of course, there's many different reasons why you might feel anxious. And so, you know, that's, I mean, I just made something sound like simple when it's not. I mean, obviously it's it's more challenging than than we can articulate in this moment. But yeah, like there's there's growth there and not everybody feels it. It's it's so it was fascinating to me when I discovered the theory to think about the fact that not everybody has this experience that I have of being overexcitable. But I can tell you that since discovering the theory, I've completely changed the way that I experience reality. Like doing all of this work has helped me resolve my own anxiety, which is amazing. Like I just never thought that I could be somebody who was free from it. And I really don't feel it anymore. I did feel a little bit of anxiety before we met and recorded, which was funny because I thought, oh, look, like now I'm feeling empathy for my guests. Like I forgot what it was like to feel nervous about a podcast recording. But like, I don't feel anxious anymore in my life. And I just, I didn't have that experience of not feeling it until I was almost 50, which is mind blowing to me. Like I didn't think that it could go away. Yeah. And that makes me, I mean, going off the interview a little bit, but like, 
I'm wondering how you reflect on your 20-year-old self. I can imagine there's maybe sadness there, just deep empathy for the young person you were who was struggling so much. It took a long time to get to the point where I could even see my younger self with self-compassion. I realize now that 10 years ago when I discovered the theory and I was in this autoethnographic process, I still had a lot of anger about my younger self and I wasn't even ready to to look at the past with any empathy or self-compassion. And now, yes, I see how much trauma there was, how my parents' trauma impacted me. You know, my father was an alcoholic. I'm able to see his trauma now, like just having these new lenses and perspectives that I've had from, you know, over the past 10 years, you know, beyond the theory, but even being trauma-informed, understanding neurodivergence and being neurodiversity affirming, all of that just helped me reframe everything. And and now, yeah, when I look back, I, I don't know, I wish that I had somebody at the time who could have helped me from a non-pathologizing lens. Yeah, I'm so grateful that you do the work that you do and that you're bringing all of this lived experience into your mission and the way that you show up for people. So I know that you're certainly paying it forward, but you've been through a lot. You've been through quite quite a journey. And it is really inspiring for me as the parent of a kid who struggles to kind of see where you are and to learn more about your story. So I really appreciate that. Before we go, I'm just thinking like in terms of practical applications. So for parents who are listening to this and who are intrigued and thinking, okay, how do I get my kid to positively disintegrate? I'm assuming it doesn't work that way. It's a more organic experience. But what would you want parents to know or consider when they are engaging with their neurodivergent kid, their kid who is struggling with mental health challenges? Like how can they take this information and use it to support their child and their family? It helps to have community for one thing. I would encourage them to think about joining a group like we have. My co-host, Emma Nicholson, started a group called Adults with Overexcitabilities. Consider joining a group like that where you can connect with other adults who have children who are going through this because that helps. And, you know, and we're there. So that's kind of becoming our official podcast group on, on Facebook. It's really important. I think if you want to embrace positive disintegration as a framework and lens to, I mean, it goes hand in hand with everything that's truly neurodiversity affirming at this point, understand that these aren't issues to be treated so much as understood and, and supported properly. I mean, I think that that's, critical. And so while we don't necessarily have enough maybe print materials at this point, I mean, you know, and there are, they do exist, like living with intensity. It's kind of, it feels a little dated to me at this point because it doesn't talk about 2E in it, which is my biggest beef. And then Michael Pihovsky's book, Mellow Out, is a great resource that, in fact, I would I would say that that one is even more important if you're the parent of a kid who's experiencing overexcitabilities and disintegration because, you know, Michael's book really brings you through all of the five types of overexcitability in that book and frames it within a personal growth perspective. So much of growing through positive disintegration is your own auto-psychotherapy and finding your own path forward. This is where we can help as parents by giving our kids the tools and just the love and the support to be there. And I would say that, I mean, your book helped with that so much. I would tell them to read your book, Differently Wired. I mean, I remember 
getting that book when it came out and thinking, yes, like this goes hand in hand with the theory because these are reframes of kind of conventional wisdom where you're, you're, you're tilting and you're saying, okay, but, and, you know, and giving like a new perspective. And that's what this is. This is really just an alternative to conventional wisdom to some extent. Thank you for that. And mellow out, you're the second person to mention that book to me in the past week. So I'm I'm making a note to read it. And I will include links to the resources we talked about. I'll include links to Emma's Facebook group that you just mentioned in the show notes. Is there any other place that you would want people to check out your work to connect with you? Well, aside from the podcast, the Dabrowski Center website has an archive of Michael Pihovsky's work. We have some of Dabrowski's work. PositiveDisintegration.com is Bill Tillier's website that has all the Dabrowski material available from Bill. And so, you know, these are places where you can learn more about the theory. Awesome. Thank you. I think we did pretty good. I'm just going to say, like, we covered a lot of ground in a short period of time. And I understood pretty much everything that you said. So I hope my listeners had the same experience. Listeners, I will have a lot of links in the show notes, including some of my favorite episodes of the Positive Disintegration podcast. So if you want to explore more, definitely check that out. Chris, thank you so much. I really just appreciate you. I'm excited for the work that you're doing. I think it's such a service to so many families. And it's nice to see people doing their passion work too. So thanks for everything that you shared today and for coming on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I would say all of that to you too. Thank you for everything that you do and that you've brought to the world. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. If you want to learn more about today's guest and the resources we talked about, you can always go to the extensive show notes page on tiltparenting.com. There you'll find key takeaways, links to all the resources that were discussed, and even a full transcript of our conversation. Just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this episode. The Tilt Parenting Podcast is hosted by me, Debbie Reber, author of the book Differently Wired and the founder of Tilt Parenting. And it was edited by my wonderful producer, Andrea Curtis Amasquita. If you want to support this show, please consider joining my Patreon campaign and making a small monthly contribution. Just go to patreon.com slash tilt parenting to learn more. If you want to follow Tilt on social media, go to at tilt parenting on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, please take a minute to leave a five star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps the show stay visible so others can easily find it. Thanks so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information about any of the parenting resources Tilt offers, visit tiltparenting.com. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. 
So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.